Hello everyone, H here. And this is Kay. We're spilling all the art and architecture secrets you thought we'd never tell. As we touched on in our last episode, we have enjoyed the past three Halloweens together. A cherished tradition. (laughs) And I thought it would just be like a fun trip down memory lane for us to just share our fond mems that we spent together. So many good mems. So many cute costumes. (sighs) So many drinks. So... (laughs) We don't need to speak about that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so our first year together was actually not anything amazing, nothing to write home about, but it was um, our final year of school, of college, and we actually had a huge, like, life-altering project due on Halloween. And so we had been in studio, like, the longest hours for the past, like the previous month leading up to this mm. date, honestly, I think that we were leaving like around, like on average, like around four or five in the morning every day, like yeah, scheduling time to cry. <laughs> yeah. People were taking naps in studio. Like you'd roll up to the studio at like two for class and then you'd stay in the studio until literally five in the morning. And so I don't know, around midnight, maybe you like tuck your head down and you take a little snooze and wake back up at an hour refreshed, ready to keep going. I'm sure that most seniors in college were like, hell yeah, senior year, Halloween, going to be amazing. Um, And then everybody, of course, went out on a Saturday because like Halloween itself was on a weekday, but we were just like crying in studio when that happened. Yeah, that was like the most stressful day of my life. I feel like this, like the weekend before. And so we unfortunately missed most of the big like Halloween celebrations that were happening at the bars. Um, We were not going to let that stop us though. So on Halloween, we were like, we're going out. Like, I think we even called a few bars to be like, are you doing anything? Oh like, my God, we up? did. <laughs> we were like, did we miss everything? And they were like, I mean, kind of, but. Um, so one of the bars, and it was one of the bars that we went to pretty frequently. Um, I think they were offering like Halloween themed buckets, like souvenir bucket drinks that you could take. So we're like, yeah, let's go there. So our costumes for this year were from Hocus Pocus. Of course. Kay, of course, classic. Um, So Kay was Winifred, one of the Sanderson sisters, and she slayed it. It was perfect. Thanks. And then I was Danny, the little girl. Um, And I spent, like, many hours on Halloween trying to, like, make this costume, like, sewing and hot gluing (laughs) items together. Well, you killed it. You were very recognizable. (laughs) Thank you. And then Kay's husband actually went as Billy, who's, like, the undead zombie in the movie. He's my undead boyfriend. Yes. Um, So... I, it ended up actually being pretty good. Like it wasn't anything mind blowing, like, um, it, but at least it gave us 
a way to like blow off steam after like a very stressful semester. Do you remember, even though you were the one dressed as the little girl, I think um, the bartender thought I was because do you remember he came over? I was already in the bar. Like they had already checked my ID and then they came back and just stared at it some more and was like questioning me. And I was like, I'm in a costume, but like, this is my ID. (laughs) I do. I totally remember that because I think we even like may have been at the bar because we were sitting at the actual bar and we may have even been like eating food at this point because I think like (laughs) we got there early enough and we're like, let's eat dinner. And he does like he comes over after you've already been admitted into the bar and he's like, I need to see your ID again. And literally her husband is like, "Um, no, she's old enough. Like also we frequented this bar. I mean, we were there multiple weekends every month at this bar. And it's like, you were wearing a costume, but you weren't unrecognizable. It was like you had a mask on. I know. It was really weird. It was. Um, But anyway, it was fun. We've actually posted pictures of this to our Instagram already. So you can go check it out and see how well we did on our costumes. Um, And then the next Halloween that we got to spend together was two years ago. And at this point I had already moved to Charlotte to, um, and I, cause I got a job here. So I moved here. Um, and I, and Kay was still in Boone. So I decided to go back and visit her and I had like planned my costume for this. I was like, I know what I want to be. And it was not anything that really Kay could do with me, but I was like, I, this is, this is what I have to do. So Luckily, she made it happen, and I went as Post Malone. Thanks to Kay, she drew on all of my face tats and Mm -hmm. neck tats and finger tats. Um, We were going for accuracy. We were going for accuracy. I agree. That's probably one of my favorite costumes that I've ever done, just because it was really fun. And people definitely recognized who I was supposed to be. So, I mean, that's what matters. Well, this time I was the one thrown together. I was like, what should I be? Because she's post Malone. And I ended up just being a witch, you know, it was whatever. cute. It like worked. It, it worked. It worked. Um, and then that was just like a very short trip. And then it was fun though. Like that was a fun night. I think we ended the night like eating Taco Bell, which was just like back to college memes. That's like what we always did. Yes. Ugh, I love nothing better than like drinking and going and shaking your booty on the dance floor and then going to get Taco Bell. Like that's the trifecta right there. Like mm-hmm. mm, perfect night. Um, and then last year, um, Kay had moved to Charleston. So I came down and visited her for a few days and we went out actually on Halloween. And this year, my costume is very much thrown together. <laughs> We um, just just once we need to like prepare and coordinate a costume in advance. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> we'll get we'll get there. Um, maybe not this year because it's not looking so great in terms of COVID, <laughs> but like we're gonna get there. Um, but I was just a cat, and I literally went to Party City like day of, and I was like, you know what? Here's some like I can draw some whiskers on my face and throw some ears on, and like good to go. You were a cute cat. Thank you. I mean, this time, like, my husband and I were the ones who did a costume that it was like, okay, how do we add you into this? Because we were Wesley and Buttercup from Princess Bride. It's fine. I'm so used to third wheeling with him. It's not even weird anymore. Well, I... So what, did I second wheel with you and your posty costume? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The love of your life, Post Malone. Yes. (sighs) 
Posty, if you're out there. Posty, if you listen to Art and Architecture podcast, because that's just your passion, H is single and ready to mingle. With Post Malone specifically. Yeah, only Post Malone. I only anybody else like fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you look like Post Malone and can sing like Post Malone, in which case, you know. And, and you are Post Malone. And you are Post Malone. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Um, this is not a dating show. This is actually an art and architecture podcast. Hi, hello, welcome. Oh. oh. <laughs> um, anyway, we had planned, like, we actually went out on Halloween, and then we also had plans for the next night. And um, the plan was like, we were going to go to this haunted house, and then we were going to go to this Halloween party, and it was going to be really fun. It was going to be great because it was like two nights of Halloween, like two nights of partying for our favorite holiday. Um, and then the second night, we um, went out to dinner, this <laughs> yummy Italian restaurant. And then we came back home, and we're like, yeah, like we're going to go to the haunted house slowly losing interest and (laughs) like our bellies were full and we were like yeah we're still ready to go to that right like it's gonna be a long night of partying fun Uh, like you know I'm 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 24 going on like 44 at this point um (laughs) so we what we end up doing is putting our pajamas on and snuggling up on Kay's couch and watching practical magic, which is honestly my preferred way of spending any evening, much less Halloween. But I, you know, I have these big plans for all of these epic Halloween parties, but I, I'm just too old and too tired. My college years are behind me, man. I just would like to go ahead and add that even in college, we weren't, um, I mean, we were fun, but like, uh, I mean, there was a, there was a period of time there where we hit our peak and we stayed out to like 2am and mm-hmm. partied hard. Uh, but then I would say like, I remember we went out the night before graduation, I think. And by that point it was like 11pm and we were like, we can't do this anymore. Yeah, we definitely, we age, senior, senior year of college aged us like at <laughs> least 10 years. So much. Ugh. But anyway, as we said, this is our way of celebrating this year, and we're back with another episode of our spooky season series, and today we're going to be talking to you about burial architecture, so catacombs, crypts, pyramids, mausoleums, all kinds of creepy, scary spaces for the dead. Ooh. When you think of funerary architecture, you probably first think of the Egyptian pyramids. Um, And while those are one of the most recognizable examples, that was actually kind of the final tier of funerary architecture that the Egyptians reached. Um, They weren't immediately able to craft these like beautifully smooth angled pyramids that we're used to seeing. And that like is the picture that we conjure up in our mind when we think of pyramids. Yeah, pyramids were pretty perfect, and they impress and fascinate to this day. There's a reason that people think aliens made them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they're architectural wonders, but it took them a long time to figure out what 
worked for them as far as burial architecture. And there were a lot of iterations that you could tell they were working towards figuring out how to make a pyramid, but it took them, it took them a while. It did. It, it definitely did. It would take me longer though. So <laughs> I still wouldn't have gotten there. I still, I still wouldn't have a pyramid. The earliest burial architectural structure that the Egyptians were working towards was the mastaba, which is just kind of like a single tier sloped structure. The term mastaba actually means eternal house, and it was used as a final resting place for the dead before we got the like classic pyramids. It's sort of like if you just cut three quarters of a pyramid off and only left its base. That's kind of what a mastaba looked like. It's about where I would be able to build up to, like, yeah. thinking through yeah. a pyramid. <laughs> it was a flat roof. It was shaped like a rectangle, but its sides sloped outward as if it was the bottom of a pyramid. We actually can still see examples of mastabas today, um, and that's because much like the pyramids, they were crafted out of bricks made from mud that was taken from the Nile. Um, once mud bakes in the sun, it becomes this really sturdy and durable building material. And so despite the fact that these are incredibly ancient, they're still hanging around today. So despite being a slightly different structure in terms of looks, these were essentially used for the same purpose and in the same way that pyramids were. Um, they were used as burial sites for the royals and pharaohs and some of the earliest dynasties of ancient Egypt. And even as pyramids started being constructed, the mastabas were used by the commoners for over a thousand years, since this was something that was a lot easier to build um, and more accessible to the lower classes. Which it obviously makes sense why a royal would want some sort of special tomb. Um, but why wouldn't commoners just, you know, bury their bodies underground, you know, like what, why do they need any sort of structure? Um, but I mean, living in the desert doesn't offer a lot of protection for a buried body. So they needed some sort of structure. And that's why the Mastaba came along. It gave the body protection from the natural elements, from grave robbers, um, from wild animals. It covered the body and preserved it pretty well, but it still was just covering like a simple pit that was dug into sand. It wasn't nearly as intricate as some of the, some of the chambers that um, pyramids were ultimately made up of. As time went on, the construction of the mastaba evolved. Uh, no longer was it just a single pit carved into the sand, but it was actually copying um, a house plan and actually had several rooms within it. Um, during this evolution of the mastaba, however, the pharaohs and the other royals were moving on to the pyramids. Um, those were just grander structures. They were sturdier. They allowed for more room. Um, and for more chambers and held more treasures and things like that. So um, while commoners continued to use the mastaba for several thousands of years, they soon fell entirely out of favor because the pyramids became the standard for burial architecture. And while the pharaohs are still trying to figure out this like grand structure that we know will eventually become the pyramid, um, there's a few sort of iterations that occur along the way. So obviously we've covered the mastaba. Um, the next one is a stepped pyramid. Um, the most like well-known is the step pyramid of Dozier. Um, and basically we start to see more of like a vertical take on funerary architecture. Um, we've still got slanted sides, but we start seeing different tiers or steps that are leading towards what will eventually become a point um, in the step pyramid, it's still like a flat topped. The concept of the step pyramid is essentially stacking multiple 
mastabas on top of each other and they progressively get smaller. We don't have the point yet that we think about with a classic pyramid, um, but we're definitely getting closer with this. Also, because these pyramids were being made for royals, they were actually parts of entire complexes that included temples, courtyards, shrines, um, living quarters for priests. And because these pyramids were being made to hold not only the body of the pharaohs and maybe his family, but also his treasures, there were lots and lots of chambers made within them, which is part of the reason why they're so large. They also included, though, false doors, false chambers trenches and that was just to discourage unwanted guests if there were grave robbers or thieves trying to come in they would potentially get lost in these pyramids and be lost forever one of my personal favorite iterations of the pyramids is the bent pyramid um and it's just one but basically they were so close with this one um they started with like the pyramid structure that, you know, we think of, they were going at about a 60 degree slope up the sides. Um, and then about halfway up, they realized this ain't going to stand up. This is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so they ended up having to switch to about a 43 degree angle halfway up. Um, and that was basically because it was beginning to collapse under its own weight. So they're like, we can't get this to go up as tall as we thought we could. So we're going to lower it a little bit and finish it off. But this bent pyramid actually does have like the classic point, but it's, it's funky to look at. It looks like a, like a Hershey kiss. that's starting to melt. I can see where your head's at. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's just, they, I, they didn't intend for it to look like this. No, they didn't. And I think what's funny is like, I feel like we could all relate to this in some way where it's like, we have these great intentions and then like we start working towards them and we're like, oh, this isn't going to work. So we just adapt and make it happen. (laughs) One of my favorite memes is from the great British Bake Off and this guy like ends up making this disaster of a recipe and he's like, started making it, had a breakdown bon appetit. And I'm like, this is what, that's what happened with the Ben Pyramid. They were like, started making it, had a breakdown, bon appetit. (laughs) (laughs) Many years after the first introduction of the Mastaba, we finally see true pyramids being built. Um, And some of the most well-known ones are the pyramids of Giza that were built for the three kings, Khufu, Khafre, and Menkare. They finally did it. They made a beautiful, perfect pyramid that just continues to marvel the whole world today. These are the largest. They're the most vertical. They're the smoothest. They actually were made out of limestone instead of mud, um, which meant that they were even more expensive and even more durable. And they might be the most colossal single buildings ever erected, actually, which is why they're such a marvel, because they were just, each brick was just being carved and then just dragged over here and placed on top of each other and they managed to make this thing that's lasted for this long i mean i think it's insane but it's it's definitely just like a masterpiece of engineering like i kind of don't really know how they did this yeah so in the largest pyramid um, of these three there were around 2.3 million bricks used Um, And those had to be cut, transported, and assembled. They believe that the structure weighs around 5.75 million tons. And don't worry, we've given a really rough overview of pyramids and 
the slightest taste of Egyptian history, but we're going to get further into this on later episodes. We're just trying to give like a brief overview of like a lot of different burial architecture in this episode. So stay tuned for more Egyptian stuff. Of course, we're going to go back to Egypt because I think every kid our age was obsessed with Egypt at one point. There was this like Egyptology book that was like the hottest thing at the Scholastic Book Fair. Like, I don't know if you remember that, but like we're, we definitely are going to talk about Egypt because it's the coolest. Another type of funerary architecture that is pretty common to a lot of people are catacombs. Um, These are usually underground burial grounds, and the walls are lined with bones, skulls, skeletons. Um, They're quite creepy, but quite cool. Partly because you're like, why? Who was your interior designer that decided to just, like, plaster the walls of these intricate patterns of bones? It sort of disturbs me. Yeah, I I think catacombs are really interesting. Um, Actually, when I was studying abroad, I got to go visit some of the catacombs right outside of Rome. And it was really, really interesting to see and to take the tour and everything. Maybe unfortunately for me, because I have like a twisted, twisted sense of like excitement, but maybe fortunately for other people in the catacombs that I toured, they actually had removed all of the bones because too many people were stealing them. Um, which I think is just so messed up, but still, that's the quickest way to get cursed. I know (laughs) you're just asking for trouble at that point. Um, but it was still really exciting to like, see the different, like, um, like tomb areas and just, you could get lost down there so easily. It was, I mean, it just like continued on forever. Very creepy. Definitely like the perfect setting for a horror movie. Um, I think most people probably are more familiar with the ones in Paris, but the first catacombs were actually in Rome. The reason they even exist um, is because Christians did not agree with the pagan custom of burning the bodies of the dead, which actually like burning bodies makes a lot of sense to me. I think an age old problem, like almost every well-populated civilization has faced eventually is running out of room for dead bodies. Um, So burning the bodies kind of solves that problem, but that was against early Christianity. So they decided, well, we can stack bones in these underground tunnels. Um, The word catacomb literally means next to the quarry. And so they excavated right next to this quarry on the outskirts of the city of Rome, um, a place to put all of these bones. Paris is the same deal, although it happened a lot later. It was in the 1700s, the late 1700s, actually, when they decided that they were having a pretty difficult time finding places for all of these dead bodies and were having public health problems that tied to the city's cemeteries. And so they decided to transfer these already decayed bodies that were just only skeletons left um, into these catacombs. And they lined every inch of the wall, every column with the bones. And that is a unique way of solving this problem. And it's incredibly creepy. But they continued on into the 1800s, transferring the bones from some of the largest cemeteries into these catacombs. Starting in 1809, tourists could come and visit the catacombs, which is insane. But of course, people have always had a taste for the macabre. And I mean, everyone wanted to see these things, including emperors, Napoleon III, Charles X. They were all coming to see these 
creepy bone structures. I think you're able to go down there today, actually, which I personally would love to do. Uh, but I just want to go down there by yourself or without a tour guide because you may never come up again. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would die <laughs> to go to the Paris catacombs. <laughs> Another population that was living in this area, the Rome was the Etruscans. And really the only surviving structure or information that we have about these people is their necropolis um, that can be dated back to the ninth century BCE. So a necropolis is kind of considered like a city of the dead. And basically there's thousands of tombs in this area that resemble houses. This one is structured just like a city. So there's like streets, neighborhoods, squares in between. Um, and the tombs are built to resemble like an Etruscan home. So it's, like you said, the only evidence we really have of what an Etruscan town looked like. But it is interesting, like, why would they, like, what were their beliefs about the dead? Did they feel like they went on living and they needed some sort of, like, not only home, but city to continue living in? I mean, I don't know. It's really interesting that they built this whole city for dead people. Right. I mean, there was, like, a level of urban urban planning that went into like creating this area. And I mean, like I said, there's like thousands of tombs here. Um, and they're really interesting to look at. They're like kind of these like rounded structures that are now like covered with like moss and everything. Um, we'll obviously post pictures to our Instagram, but you know, just that there was so much like planning and effort that went into the constructing of all of these buildings and the layout of them. Cause like you said, there's like streets and it, it's, it's really interesting the Etruscans, because they were conquered by the Roman Empire, we really don't know much about them. They're quite mysterious. But unlike the pyramids, where it was very clearly like this grand, colossal, tall building indicating the the most important person in society, all of these tombs are pretty equal in size and shape. And there's nothing really that stands out about one among the others. And so it sort of suggests that their society was a bit more egalitarian. And that's really interesting too, because Rome was not that way either. I honestly didn't learn about Etruscans until pretty late in life. And so I'm really fascinated by these people. I wish I knew more about them, but their tombs still stand today. And that's pretty cool. Speaking of cities of the dead, this is also a term that is used in New Orleans to describe all of the above-ground tombs that you can see in all the different cemeteries that they have there. The reason that the above-ground tombs are used in New Orleans um, really just comes down to the fact that it's below sea level, and when they tried to bury their dead underground, they ended up kind of being washed back up. Um, and that's really not something you would necessarily want um, in like a mass, <laughs> no, <laughs> like a cemetery. Um, and so they tried like a few different things to try to like keep these graves submerged and none of those worked. So they eventually gave up and started building these totally above ground structures. Um, and they vary in size greatly anywhere from, you know, just large enough to house a casket to huge mausoleums. New Orleans is one of my favorite places. And these are really interesting to walk around because you're, you're walking between all of these different structures and things. And it's just a totally different experience than you have like walking through a graveyard or a cemetery. And what's interesting is that families that could afford like the larger, more ornate tombs, um, a lot of them will actually resemble miniature houses and they'll even have iron fences that surround them. 
Um, and because of the planning, a lot of the rows of the tombs resemble streets. So very different from the Etruscans, but still almost that same vibe for lack of a better word. Like when you're walking through this, it, it really does feel planned and like you are right in the middle of a necropolis. So while researching this episode, I kind of found this one interesting form of funerary architecture that I had not heard of before. And it's the Zoroastrian Towers of Silence that are found throughout the Middle East and parts of Asia. So Zoroastrianism is actually a faith and they believe that other practices for disposing of the dead, um, such as cremation and burial, that it pollutes the water and the air. Um, So they've come up with a solution, which is to expose the body to the sun and allow the vultures to consume it. So these towers of silence that are also known as dacmas have a flat top, and that's basically so that the body can be laid out to then be consumed by vultures. And besides not wanting to pollute the earth or the water, they also believe that once a body ceases to live, it can be contaminated by demons that would make it impure. So they believe that this is almost a way to purify the body through sun exposure and being consumed by the local fowl. So these dacmas, um, as I said, were flat top towers that were located in the desert. Um, and they have three concentric circles found on these towers and the men were placed in the outer circle, women in the middle and children were in the innermost ring. And basically then they were just left in the sun until it was totally stripped down to just their bones that would be bleached by the sun. I guess it could seem a bit morbid, but it honestly is like a very natural part of the life cycle. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily find anything strange about this. And then of course, you know, this, this was, this had a lot of ceremony around it. They weren't just laying the bodies out. They had them on these beautifully built towers, um, Yeah. I mean, it definitely was thought out. It definitely wasn't, you know, anything we might think it's a bit morbid, but obviously to them, it was like the most holy way to dispose of the bodies. This is actually something that has been done up until about 40 years ago and really was only stopped because of the vulture population. Um, It's a lot less than it used to be, but this, they have found evidence that this happened, um, as long ago as the 4th and 5th century BCE. This has been a long practice tradition. Yeah, like you were saying, issues with the vulture population has really affected the Towers of Silence in Mumbai. The use of these dacmas became illegal in Iran in the 1970s. And so for that reason, um, more so than the vultures, they've had to figure out what's a new burial method they can do. And so they've just sort of been burying bodies in concrete. But um, it is interesting that this is something a that came from the ancient world that's still happening today and b that due to just modern constraints are slowly disappearing out of their culture One of my favorite types of burial architecture to talk about um, are the barrows near Stonehenge. And that's mostly because I went and saw them in person. (laughs) Um, But really, I don't even know how they discovered these because obviously Stonehenge is so easy to see and very distinct and very iconic uh, with its tall vertical stones standing in the middle of the field. 
very random. But the barrows, um, which were burial mounds all around Stonehenge, are very long and they're like little hills. Like they're not even that tall, most of them. Um, and I'm sure the landscape looked very different when they were first created. These are from the Bronze Age. Um, so we're back in prehistory. But they're just these very subtle mounds. And I think a lot of them have only been discovered like via plane or via drone because they're not super clear in the landscape. What's interesting about these is that they probably could give us a lot of insight into the people who created Stonehenge, why Stonehenge was created. Is it a part of a bigger like temple complex or burial complex, for example? But it's disappointing because treasure hunters and investigators prior to the 20th century pretty much like dug all around these and removed a lot of the grave goods. So I think a lot of the information we could get from these is gone now. Um, But they're still excavating around these areas and finding out more and more every day. They actually think they found potentially the grave for the people who actually created Stonehenge, which is pretty cool. They've dubbed that mound as the House of the Dead, which was believed to have a central tomb hidden under the earth and was framed by two ditches. Um, And a lot of these barrows actually connect via ditches or roads to hinges like Stonehenge. So again, it's like all part of this really intricate complex, but it's so ancient and so eroded and covered by the landscape and picked apart by treasure hunters that we really have no idea why any of these exist. And that's what I think is so cool about it. It's difficult with this because like with Stonehenge, we already have so many questions about it and, you know, why it's there, who built it, the purpose, you know, there's all these questions surrounding it. And so it's sad to think that like those answers were there, but, you know, people disrupted it and people stole from it. And now like those answers were taken from us. And, you know, that's not only is it awful for them to like rob from the dead and like rob from these barrows, but you know, that's totally disrupted the course of history and us having this insight into Stonehenge and, you know, the surrounding areas. Some of the grave goods that they are lucky to find include things like daggers, pieces of amber, beads, even things made out of gold. Um, And so it does give us a little insight to their culture, but What I find interesting about this also is these are, you know, natural burial mounds made out of ground. And so you would expect that they just put bodies in there. But um, it seems as though they cremated the bodies, put them in urns, and then put them in these sparrows. Because they do find cremated remains and they find examples of urns and pottery. And so I don't know that I necessarily would have expected that they were cremating bodies. But we know, like when I was talking about Rome... Um, And the Christians deciding to use catacombs due to the fact that the pagan custom of burning bodies was forbidden in Christianity. I guess it was actually pretty common um, pre-Christianity to cremate bodies. It's interesting that in modern times, we've arrived more and more as that being a a good solution for handling Yeah, it's almost like we've come full circle a little bit. You know, like when we think about these like prehistoric times that they were doing that and that they found that was like a... I don't want to say efficient, but, you know, for lack of a better term, that was a way to like, it's a very different amount of space that like cremated remains versus a body take up. And, (laughs) you know, it seems like they didn't necessarily want these to be, I don't want to say found, but I mean, 
it wasn't like these were had tombstones and were supposed to be some type of like flashy burial site. I mean, they both cremated the bodies and then still buried the remains. So I think there's something to be said about that. It was very cool to be there and see them because I think, you know, had I no context for that, had I not known what I was there to see, I, it never would have occurred to me like, oh, that hill over there is filled with this like these prehistoric tools and people and like, it's insane. But my biggest memory from being at Stonehenge is that like our schedule got kind of messed up. And so we ended up not having a place to put our suitcases. And uh, my husband and I had to drag our suitcases around. Like they were rolly suitcases, like while we were at Stonehenge and we're just in the grass in the middle of a field, looking at these ancient stones and burial mounds. We're just like dragging our suitcases along and everybody thought we were psychos and we kind of looked like psychos. But um, that's, honestly my biggest memory of Stonehenge. So I might need to go back and look at the burial (laughs) mounds a little bit better because I was a bit distracted that day. Well, hopefully through this podcast, we might get a chance to do that. I mean, that's our, that would be our long, (laughs) that would be our long-term goal is to actually get to see these amazing historical things that we're telling you guys about. We would love to be there. Obviously the like landscape of the world needs to change a little bit. And we're nowhere near being able to do it like <laughs> financially either. But, you know, I feel like that would be the most amazing thing for us to be able to do. If anyone would like to sponsor a do-over trip for me to go back to Stonehenge, I promise I will come back with a lot more information for you. You just have to, um, you know, I have a Venmo account, uh, whatever, <laughs> what, whatever you see fit. Uh, I'll, I'll take should we create a GoFundMe? <laughs> <laughs> Take HK to Stonehenge <laughs> and everywhere else. So, speaking of the bears at Stonehenge, the Tibetan Empire actually had something similar um, where they had these hundreds of burial mounds that they created between the 7th and 9th centuries. And this area is the densest found of burial grounds where there's just so many. So much like the barrows, they were actually pretty well hidden and they weren't really found until they were able to take like satellite pictures of this area. And what they were able to see was that there's a lot of variation in some of these burial mounds. Some of them are really small um, and some of them are huge and even contain different burial chambers and are even walled for privacy. The structures were mostly trapezoidal and they just blended so well with the mountain backdrop of the Tibetan plateau that, like I said, they really couldn't see them until they were able to capture these satellite images of the area. I find it really fascinating that some of them are still in use today. Um, Apparently some of them serve as things like stables or like shrines um, for religious reasons, but because so many people live in this area and try to use these and there's so much construction developing in Tibet, they're apparently really threatened. And that's quite sad because, you know, just like the Barrows, we've gotten to a point where there's more mystery than there is answers. And with this being such an interesting and unique historical site, I hope that they can preserve it well enough for us to keep uncovering their secrets instead of having them be lost to time. And I think that's something that since this is something that's been found more recently, that they're really trying to achieve is that they want it to be non-evasive when they're going through and like excavating this and, you know, researching this. So I think that's really important. And it's probably a good thing that we're finding it at a time where we do realize the importance of preserving these like historical structures. So one 
really significant structure that is part of burial architecture is the Taj Mahal, which is actually a mausoleum. So obviously the Taj Mahal is not just one structure. It's actually like a complex of multiple buildings, but the main mausoleum was built by a Mughal emperor to house his favorite wife, which I think it's funny that like that distinction is made <laughs> that <laughs> it was for his wife. favorite wife. And it started being constructed in 1632 AD and was completed 16 years later. Um, but there's a mosque, a guest house, um, and like this large courtyard. So it's, it's this like extravagant, like grand complex. It's very palatial. Like I think most people yes. probably just assume it's a palace or a, or a mosque um, and not much else, but. So it's interesting to think that like something this grand and that took 16 years of construction and that was just on the main mausoleum portion. That wasn't even on all the surrounding structures. You know, it, it was created to house and honor his wife, you know, so the dead. And we've looked at several examples of burial architecture. And, you know, this immediately kind of just relates back to the pyramids for me. Like this is supposed to be grand. This is supposed to like blow all other like structures out of the water. You know, it's not a little burial mound in the dirt. This is meant to make an impact and, you know, to show importance. Right. We still remember the great pharaohs of Egypt because their pyramids still stand as a testament to them. Well, he thought this wife was so important as to deserve that same legacy. And, you know, today the Taj Mahal is like one of the seven wonders of the world and like people, millions and millions of people go and visit it every year. And it was just all in testament to this one woman and her funeral and her memory. And we will definitely cover more about the Taj Mahal um, in future, in a future episode when we finally get, we're going to, like we said, we want, this episode is all about giving just like a quick taste of like burial architecture, like around the world and throughout history. But so much of what we talked about has such an impact that it's going to be really important for us to revisit it just because it is such a huge architectural feature and, you know, something that we obviously will need to cover in more detail. Like H said, we'll get more into the architecture because it's so gorgeous and such a masterpiece of Islamic architecture and deserves its own episode for sure. Um, But I will say that the tomb chamber itself is octagonal, which is pretty unique. And then just like we were talking about raised tombs earlier, um, the tomb is further raised within this octagonal chamber, which is double storied, by the way, which has probably has such a sense of grandeur and so impressive and lofty and beautiful. Um, But the tomb itself is further raised on a square platform. So it's just very, I feel like there's just a lot of reverence surrounding this. It's very gorgeous. It's obviously a place filled with such love and respect and reverence and um, incredibly unique. Like I don't think there's many examples of funerary architecture all throughout history that was quite like this. For whatever reason though, I do think, think that the real graves, the real bodies are kept in a lower crypt. I don't know if that's for privacy or security or if that's just potentially more sacred, but regardless of where this one body is, this whole complex is dedicated to it. And that's just so insane. Like she had to be a hell of a woman. (laughs) I would love someone to build me a Taj Mahal. That's what I'm saying. I I should should go ask my husband really quick if I'm going to get something like that. He probably needs to start saving up now. Well, Get my team together now. Am I your favorite wife? 
Uh, do you love me this much? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, fellas. If you're not building a Taj Mahal for your ladies, clearly they're not the favorite wife. Like, what are and, you doing? And ladies, get you a man who not would be- build you a Taj Mahal. Yep. So what are we doing with bodies now in 2020? Where do we put our dead now? Well, there's clearly like the everyday examples that we know and love. (laughs) But actually, there are certain architects that focus on modern burial architecture. Um, And you can get some crazy custom-made structures um, to house your body or ashes in once you are deceased. Which, I don't know that if I was an architect that that's what I would want my specialty to be. But, you know... It certainly is interesting. There's clearly a niche market. I mean, we've we've went throughout history and we've discovered that all throughout it, including today, there are still problems with how we deal with the dead. You know, sometimes there are cultural constraints, as in like a certain more efficient a type of, you, you know, like for example, cremation might be forbidden by your religion or whatever it is, but, or your civilization might be so overpopulated that you're just, the fact of the matter is you're just running out of room. It's like, what do we do with all of these bodies? But if architecture is there to solve a problem, to create something unique, to create something visually appealing, to deal with an issue, I mean, it, it actually probably is a pretty interesting area to work in. There's actually one designer, Bob Hendricks, who creates this living coffin that's made from mushroom. And it basically causes the bodies to decompose even faster because um, the actual structure of the coffin is biodegradable. So, I mean, that's thinking pretty small scale, but I feel like it's just sort of the little things you can do to sort of like help the planet. (laughs) Well, and I'm sure it's better than be being buried in this intricate coffin that, I don't know, might contain plastic or metals or, you know, things that either don't ever break down or take a really long time to break down. And also they're so expensive. I mean, there's a lot to look at. And then cremation makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, but I think that the practices or the methods that they use today to cremate aren't always the most sustainable. I think there's a lot of waste and a lot of emissions involved. So I think burial makes sense, but it's just how you go about it. And then again, there's that issue of running out of room, especially if you live in a more dense urban area. We also see changes in actual like mausoleum structures or um, tomb structures where, you know, now if you've got if you've got the money for it, you can get an architect to design you this really intricate, really modern burial structure. And there are architects that specialize in this, you know, we'll post a few examples on our Instagram page, but I think that's crazy. I guess I just never really thought about like, that would be what you would choose to spend money on or a way to like make a lasting impression. But there are people that are doing it. And honestly, looking at some of these structures, you would have no idea that they were, you know, essentially like a mausoleum or a tomb. Having enough money 
to pay for something like that is something not everyone can achieve. Um, and there, it is still funny how unequal we can be even in death. But another thing coming full circle back to the city of the deads again, Miro Rivera Architects has actually really recently designed this floating city of the dead um, in honor of his former teacher who actually passed away from COVID this year. And he not only is focusing on that sense of sacredness that used to really be provided by things like temples and funeral structures and burial mounds, things like that, but also just taking away that hierarchy and focusing on like our humanity. Like this, this would be a non-denominational place. Like anyone could be buried in. And his idea is that it would be like a bowl shaped structure that's floating in the middle of the dead sea in Jordan. Um, and mourners would actually ride a boat into the gateway that would lead them to this double helix stairway that comes up to the internment space. Yeah. I mean, this is like a super modern take. I mean, this, you would have no way of knowing that this is meant to be like funerary architecture. It's just, honestly, looking at it, I wouldn't know what it was meant to be at all, (laughs) but you know, it's, but it's very beautiful. Like, it's yeah, it's beautiful. Clean. It's open. It's light. It's bright. Um, it's kind of the opposite of what you might think of when you think of, you know, funerary architecture or like, you know, a tomb or even a city of the dead. Yeah. But, but yet this would be a place like anyone would be eligible for burial here. So this is a place just for common humanity, like coming together to, we all grieve the same way. We all celebrate life the same way, you know, we all experience death, you know, despite the cultural differences and how we handle that. Um, and so from far away, it does look very modern. It's a strange bowl-like structure floating out in the middle of the Dead Sea. Um, but on the top of it, like I said, you come up in the middle, it's kind of dark, there's a stairway and then you come up and you're on the top of the bowl and it actually kind of resembles like the Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Coliseum or like some sort of auditorium. And it's just all these spaces for internment, but it's, it's open to the air. It's just sky above you and everyone's in a circle. So there's no, you know, there's no like starting or ending point of like, who's more important. And it's actually really gorgeous. And it does, you know, it brings the necropolis into modern times. And so it's just interesting how we're continuing to reinvent and rethink funerary architecture to this day. So good news is what I'm hearing. If you can't afford your own personal Taj Mahal, you can be buried here. I mean, personally, I like the idea. I mean, can you imagine like, not that you want to like imagine being a mourner, but I think, you know, floating into this on a boat and, you know, coming up in this would be a very somber, very like, I don't want to say religious experience, but like, regardless of spiritual. religion, like it's just very spiritual. Yeah. And, and I don't know, it would just be gorgeous and very quiet and very reflective. You know, you're surrounded by the air and the sea and um, it's just really beautiful. I think. Meanwhile, um, Nicholas Cage has bought himself a pyramid. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> you can also still have a pyramid if you want. Yeah. If that's, if that's the route you want to take, get you, get yourself a pyramid. So obviously in this episode, we've touched on a lot of different types of funerary architecture all throughout the ages and all across the world. But I think it's important to, you know, take note that like 
obviously this is something that even in prehistoric times, there was a need for a, you know, final resting place for the dead. And it's interesting to see how many differences, but even more so, I think similarities there are, you know, throughout the ages and all across the globe. It's just a fact of life that they've dealt with from the beginning of time. We continue to deal with today. We'll deal with through the end of time, but it, to me, looking at different types of funerary architecture, despite their differences, despite, you know, cultural, you know, ceremonies, ways of handling this, um, to me, it's just a common thread of humanity because it doesn't matter like who you are, where you came from, like we're all dealing with this and it's just, it's interesting and weirdly beautiful to see how people honor the dead and respect the people that came before them. And then by learning about them, you know, we're doing the same and taking that knowledge and moving forward with like how we can do it better. I don't know. I just think it kind of ties us all together in a way that not much else does. So, I mean, I, I agree. I, I find this topic really interesting and obviously it fits in perfectly with like our spooky season series that we've got going on right now. But I don't, I don't necessarily find this as creepy or spooky because, you know, most of the ones that we've looked at, there is some level of like beauty or thoughtfulness at least, or at least planning that went into them. Now, would I want to be in any of these alone in the dark at nighttime on Halloween night? No, like absolutely not. Like even the most beautiful is still creepy. (laughs) We're still talking about death. So you're still surrounded by dead people. You are still surrounded by dead people. And, you know, I feel like more than that, it just plays into like people's fear of the unknown. And I think to a degree, everybody fears death a little bit in that it is the fear of the unknown. And I'm going to step down off my soapbox here because that's not what this podcast is about. (laughs) But it is important to talk about, especially from the architectural side of it. Um, And, you know, that's what we're here for. So, you know, hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, And we've got some really fun stuff planned um, for our next couple of episodes. Send us a message. You can send us an email at gothicgirlspod at gmail.com. You can message us on Instagram at gothicgirlspod or we're on Facebook at gothicgirlspodcast. We want to hear like what out of all of the different types of funerary architecture we talked about today, what interests you most? What creeps you out the most? What Where do you, you want to be buried? <laughs> if you want to <laughs> share what your thoughts uh, are about your future, you can. <laughs> But, you know, we love to hear from you guys. If you enjoyed the last few episodes we've shared with you, I know we've enjoyed making them. So please like our social media pages. Give us a five-star review if you would like. I mean, we would appreciate that. That would be nice. Pretty Um, please. And, you know, maybe burial architecture is not your thing at all. Um, And you're just waiting for us to get past all of this, like, creepy, spooky topics. But you know what? That's coming. It's sadly, it's coming, sadly for me and probably for <laughs> Kay as well. But, you know, stick with us. H, I know you're dreading the end of the spooky season. So why don't we make the next episode about your favorite topic in the whole wide world, the creepiest, the weirdest, the most unhinged artist I've ever seen. What the hell was he thinking? Let's talk about Bosch. <laughs> I'm going to cry tears of joy. I, 
Mm. I just, there is something about him and his works and just, I just feel like he was like breaking through all of the like standard practices of the day. And he was just so unconventional and you can truly get lost in his paintings. And that's what I appreciate so much. So I'm very excited (laughs) for that to be our next topic. And I think it's going to be the perfect addition to our spooky season series. We Um, touched on him just a bit in our spooky art episode, talking about how important he is to this and how he was so important that we needed a full episode to talk about him and to talk about personally important to me. Well, yes, of course. And to talk (laughs) about his most, probably his most important work, which is Garden of Earthly Delights, which is incredibly creepy, incredibly appropriate for this time of year. But you know, it's like he was painting in the 14 and 1500s, but something about his work is so modern, is so timeless. It's just so visceral. And Mm -hmm. I think you guys will look at this and be like, this is creepy. This is cool. This is fascinating. This is genius. This is disturbing. This is hellish. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's all of those things and more. And so I'm so excited yeah. to talk about it. We'll share pictures of what we talked about today on our social media page. And those are all beautiful and exciting too, but just wait until you see pictures of Bosch. We can't wait to talk about him. Ugh, I am so excited and you guys should all be too. And even if burial architecture isn't your thing, you definitely have to stick around for Bosch because you'll grow to love us. XOXO, Gothic Gothic girls. girls.